again, thank you to, to our worship team, and um, I'm excited to have Phillips continue to, to work with our team. It's going to be a blessing. We're actually planning in, in a couple weeks, uh, we've been going through the um, book of Ezekiel, which is a book about exile, and uh, we're having a, a service thinking about exile together. So if you're somebody who has gone through a season of exile at some point in your life, or you're somebody who is currently experiencing a season where you uh, feel in exile a bit, I'd love to ha- have you come talk to me uh, in a couple weeks. We'll be planning a service around that, so please let me know uh, what, your, what your thoughts are and what your experiences are uh, in that season. So the, this book, is, as I mentioned, is written as people find themselves captives in Babylon, and uh, the temple, as the book of Ezekiel is written, is destroyed. Uh, they're trying to figure out exactly what it is they're supposed to do, who it is um, that, that they are called to be. They find themselves far away uh, from home, and God continues to give Ezekiel uh, words for these people. And it's surprising sometimes what Ezekiel shares, but one of the most surprising to me happens to me in Ezekiel chapter 18, which is a little bit odd. It opens like this. Then another message came to me from the Lord. Why do you quote this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The parents have eaten sour grapes, but their children's mouths pucker at the taste. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, you will not quote this proverb anymore in Israel. So there's things that God says that seem really important and critical, like, hey, you need to figure this out, work on this, this is the reason why you're in exile, make me your God again, you know, come back to to this, be back in this situation, I desire a relationship with you again. But it's interesting that in the midst of this, like, doom and gloom and judgment and all the things that God seems to be saying, he says, stop quoting this proverb. What is this saying? Stop saying it. I googled popular American sayings and proverbs. Here's a few of them. Um, Absence makes the heart grow fonder. All that glitters is not gold. Don't judge a book by its cover. Look before you leap. Love is blind. Rome wasn't built in the day. Strike while the iron's hot. Imagine if God was to come back and there's a lot of things that we would consider important for God to sort out, you know, lead us in certain ways, lead us in these situations, help us like with world poverty or hunger or peace, you know, help us in those kind of things. And imagine if God said, no longer will you say all that glitters is not gold. It's like, what? Why do you care so much about that? And what is the deal? Why is this so important? Why do we need to stop saying that? And to help us think about this a little bit, I, I've made some sour grapes. I also have good-tasting grapes. But as I said, as I started my series on Ezekiel, um, there is a lot of teaching in Ezekiel that is uh, pretty easy to be applicable and have somebody help me out. Thank you to Sonia last week for holding Nora the entire sermon up there. That was impressive. And she got up without even touching anything, which was amazing. Uh, even more impressive, perhaps. But does anybody want to try a, a sour grape? A regular grape? Nobody? Cameron? All right. I think you're, anybody can come up. If you want to try it, we got sour on the left. You're probably going to want to do that one first. Um, It's been soaked in vinegar, so yeah. I was going to say, that tastes like vinegar. Yeah. I know my mom's British. Yeah. I'm eating a fruit, by the way. Sonia's eating fruit. Yeah, not so good. Daniel wants a grape. I think you want a real grape. I don't really want him to have to have that. Um, so I, I'll, I'll do it too. I'll do it too, just so I'm not like forcing you guys to anything weird. That's bad. Um, yeah, that's really not good. Um, so I got to get get a good one out of balance that one out. Um, so 
when, uh, when, you, when you taste something that's sour, it causes your mouth, as is described in your Ezekiel, to, to pucker, right? It's like, whoa, that is, that is not so good. And so the thing that they're, they're quoting here is, okay, the parents have eaten the sour grapes, and now we have to, to carry that burden. The children have their teeth set on edge because of what has happened to them. The parents in the previous generation. This is a concept that runs really throughout the Old Testament. I think and it's something that we still uh, wrestle with uh, some today. But especially in the Old Testament, there's parts that talk about how that this certain king sinned. And he sinned in such a way that that sin lasted, you know, for a couple generations. And that's true, right? The things that our parents do, they, they form us and, and they shape us for sometimes really good, sometimes uh, really bad. Uh, but for some reason, God is very concerned about this. And this is something that even in Jesus's ministry, they come and ask him, like, did this man sin or did his parents sin? How did he go blind? What is the issue here? So they're trying to sort this out all the time. And there are some parts of scripture that, that talk about this. Lamentations 5, 7 uh, says this, our parents sinned and are no more, and now we're paying for the wrongs they did. And this seems to be apparently what's happening as the nation of Israel sits in exile in a really difficult circumstance where they feel very far from God and they're not very connected to anything they've had. Their land has been taken from them. And so they are just having this declaration basically like, this is why life is so hard. Like our parents screwed this up for us and now I can't do anything different. And I think we can sometimes say the same thing, right? That I am this way because my mom did this to me, or I am this way because this happened. And there are certain things that definitely we need to work through and and think about, sometimes do some sessions of therapy to talk through and and figure out, okay, why do I feel anxiety about this? What was this situation that I went through? There are things that we need to, to think through, but what God, I think, is communicating to these people is this dysfunction that is now caused this situation in this difficult circumstance. Don't just talk about other people in it. Don't say it's just because of our parents. Think about how you might be part of the solution. Think about how you have hope in this situation. Uh, the movie Little Miss Sunshine is a very weird movie. Uh, I don't know that I could say I could recommend it other than the fact that it's very interesting. Um, it opens near the beginning of the movie with a, a dinner that the family is having together, and the awkwardness is just thick in the room. I mean, it's just like... You, do, you don't even want to watch that part. It's just like so weird. And you see like the grandpa and the, the father and then the son. And just it's a really strained family table relationship. And you see that this is just extremely dysfunctional. This is like some weird stuff has gone on. There's just a, a lot that you see just looking at the movie in this scene. And I think we, as we watch a movie like that, we sometimes can connect with it because we know like, that's sometimes our table at Thanksgiving or at other times. And you see how dysfunction has been passed on from one generation to another. And a question that I think we're asking sometimes is, am I free or has my path already been written and decided for me? Is what my parents did to me, the way that they screwed things up, the way that they didn't do things right, is, is that already forcing me to be a certain way? And that's what the people seem to be saying. They seem to say, our parents sinned and now our our teeth are on edge. We're afraid. We're we're bracing ourselves because of what our parents have done. So God says, stop quoting that proverb. And you have this saying, but stop saying it. 
I think it reveals something that we need to think about uh, more and more, that our words really matter. The things that we say, the collective wisdom that we have, the things that we just think about stuff— it deeply matters. And I think in our technological world with email and texting, how we can just send words however we want to all different parts of the world and not necessarily think too much about them, we need to sometimes stop and think about, okay, the words that I'm saying in certain circumstances, the things that I'm communicating, they deeply matter. So God says, you've had this saying talking about, you know, there's the sour grapes and stop saying that. And then there's these portraits that are made, and there's this whole chapter spent around this concept. It continues, For all people are mine to judge, both parents and children alike. This is my rule. The person who sins is the one who will die. So stop blaming things on this past generation. You have hope in your context. Get up and start to do something different. Ezekiel 18.5 continues and says, Suppose a man is righteous and does what is right. And then this scripture goes on to describe this person, that he is doing the right things, he's following the right sacrifices, he's doing things correctly, he's doing what what God has called him to do, and then he has a son. And Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 10 says this, let's suppose that man has a son who grows up to be a robber or murderer and refuses to do what is right, and then details this character and says, this person, like the apple fell far from the tree and rolled all the way down the hill, and this is like a, a, someone who's like completely um, different. And then suppose that person has a son. And that person is described then, 1814, suppose that sinful son in turn has a son who sees his father's wickedness and decides against this kind of life then this person is actually righteous. So it kind of goes from the generations, righteous to unrighteous, back to righteous. As I read this passage, it reminded me of my brother, who's a couple years younger than me. I'm a, I'm a middle child. And my brother, he saw some of the mistakes that I made and learned from them. He was very wise in that, and he still reminds me of this to this day. For whatever reason, I had big struggles with calling my parents when I was going to be a little bit late, and I wasn't like a crazy rebellious kid, but this is one thing that I was just like, you know, I'm going to be like 30 minutes hour late. I'm just not going to call. And to back me up a little bit, this was back in the olden days where you couldn't just send a text. You had to like say, hey, could I use your dad's phone? Like it was always a little bit um, different uh, to be able to go through that process. And so there were several times where I, I went home late and got so severely in trouble for it, and it didn't really go that well. And my brother, watching that, said, Brian, you're dumb. I'm not going to do that. I'm just simply going to learn from your mistakes and call home. And it seems to be what this is telling us. You know, there's this one person who's really righteous, and then the next person, they, they make this choice, and they go on a different path. And then the person after that, they return to the righteousness. Conventional wisdom around that time as these people are sitting in exile was like, we're not free. Our parents did this to us. It's destructive. And now we're carrying around this anxiety. We're carrying around this dysfunction. This this sin is on our heads and it felt oppressive. And at some point, the question for the people is, are you ever going to say, all right, how can we move past this? How can we move forward? And when you're teaching, and I have some friends who teach in middle school, and they say that their middle school students start without wanting to shower that much, the guys. And eventually, they move from pre-conventional wisdom to post-conventional wisdom, that you need to use deodorant and take a shower every once in a while. And those things are actually nice. 
I think God is often encouraging us to come to a higher form of understanding. Jesus always is saying, you have heard it said, but I tell you actually, this is true. What God is is saying in this passage is be wary of just what everyone thinks. Be careful about accepting just whatever it is that you think you have to accept. Be careful of just saying, you know, well, our parents sinned, so that is the problem. God says, stop quoting that proverb. Each person is mine. And there are parts of that which are very hopeful and helpful if we think about it. First of all, I think we need to be thankful about things that generations before us have done to be helpful. Some of you learned that generosity is a blessing from someone in a previous generation. And you saw the way that that person lived, and you've just always been a generous person. You think that's just the way everybody is because that person taught you the value of generosity. Some of you perhaps learned just a sense of dignity and self-worth that you didn't come to on your own. Somebody just taught you about it. There are things, certainly, that other people and other generations have taught us and that we've learned that we would say, yeah, it's such a blessing that I have this. But then on the flip side, there's things that other generations have taught us that we would rather not continue to be part of, right? For some of us, we have learned in our family systems shame or, or guilt. Some of us have learned to be overcritical of ourselves, and we have these voices in our heads, and we just allow those things to continue to play. So I think something that might be helpful as you think through this concept is, okay, what would I say? Because I think it's good to go to both sides. What would I say I'm really thankful that my parents taught me? Then on the flip side, what am I wishing to not pass on? What do I say, you know, I don't know that I want to continue giving that to my kids. I don't know that I want the next generation to have that continued. What would it look like for you to actually consider that you have the option and the possibility to change. That you don't have to just keep doing things forever in the same pattern. God says, you, right now, in your moment, in your context, you are mine. You have unbelievable possibility. You have unlimited potential. You, in this moment, you are mine. And That is one word that I think is hard enough for us to deal with because I think sometimes we wonder if we can really change things about our lives. We wonder if, you know, if we really did start that thing and we launched into that new diet plan or whatever it is, we wonder, you know, could I actually do it? Could I change that thing about myself? But the people that God communicates this to, uh, they are in a much more difficult circumstance than hopefully you'll ever be in. They find themselves in exile 700 miles away from home. The temple has been destroyed. In just a few chapters, God's going to tell Ezekiel, sorry, buddy, but your wife's going to die. And this is a horrible circumstance. These are people who are having some really difficult things happen. Their world is completely falling apart. And God comes to them and says, okay, I know that there's some misery. There's some really, really, really hard stuff that you're dealing with. And yes, it's, it's not like 100% your fault. You have some generations that you might want to blame about this, but you have some power to change things moving forward. You have some power to go in a different direction, to start fresh. Each person is mine. 
This chapter concludes like this. Therefore, I will judge each of you, O people of Israel, according to your actions, says the Sovereign Lord. Repent and turn from your sins. Don't let them destroy you. Put all your rebellion behind you and find yourselves a new heart and new spirit. For why should you die, O people of Israel? I don't want you to die, says the Sovereign Lord. Turn back and live. After all of this, starting with this, don't quote this anymore, and then showing us these different characters, God says, I will judge each of you, which actually in, in this context is good news, right? I'm going to judge you as, as you are. And God says, I don't want you to die. Don't just carry this junk around, the dysfunction around that you have, and just say it has to be like this forever. God says there's a new heart, there's new spirit, there's new hope in this moment. You don't have to live like this forever. Your teeth are on edge, perhaps. Maybe you have some anxiety. You have some things that you're carrying with you, but you don't need to carry it with you. You don't need to have it on your back. There is unbelievable hope and possibility in this moment. The movie Little Miss Sunshine, which I'm going to spoil the ending, but it came out in 2006, so... Um, if you haven't watched it, you probably aren't going to. Uh, they ha- have this crazy journey, this ride to California, and they're in the, a van that after a while the horn just doesn't stop. It's, it's amazing. And uh, they get out to this, this pageant, but on, on the way uh, to the pageant, the grandfather dies, and they don't have time to do like a proper burial, so they're carrying the body in the back. And then finally, when like, they, they need to go back and, and get the body, they open it up and the body's not there. And it's this moment, and the, it's really just, just beautifully shot. The characters who are looking into this body bag, which is now empty, they have whole new faces of joy. And this insane adventure that they've been on, what once looked like complete dysfunction, and looked like, okay, this family, they have no hope together, they have no ability to relate to each other. This thing is just a complete disaster. When the camera shows their faces as they wonder exactly where the grandpa's body is, they have a new heart and a new spirit towards each other. Like many movies, it's a theme about what resurrection can look like. That yes, maybe this is how you guys have always done it. Yes, this is the way my mom was, so I'm going to be like that, and I'm going to continue in these patterns. Maybe you could just ask yourself, where do I need a new heart and a new spirit? What Ezekiel is telling us here is that yes, you can be free. That there is unbelievable opportunity. Maybe you've had a few rough years in your marriage, and just tomorrow you're going to say, this is a new opportunity for us. This is a fresh day. Maybe you've had some rough years at work, and it's a difficult thing, and maybe you do need to look for a new job, but as you're in that job for the time being, have a fresh spirit and attitude towards it. One thing that I think is a phrase that we uh, can overlook in just how powerful it is, um, the Psalms say, this is the day that the Lord has made. And that is a statement of consciousness, isn't it? That every day that I have, this is new breaths, this is a gift. Every moment that I have in this today and then also in tomorrow, and hopefully we all have a lot more tomorrows, but this moment, this day is a day that the Lord has made. Tell that to somebody next to you. This is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day that the Lord has made. And this is one of the most radical things that I think we can say and one of the most radical things that we believe. 
that this is the day that God has made. God has gifted me this and given me unbelievable potential to change things about my life. So stop quoting that proverb, whether you probably had never said that proverb actually, but stop just living with this understanding that this stuff just has to be carried with you. This is the day that the Lord has made. Today, right now, and tomorrow, it's going to be the day that the Lord has made. Each soul is God, so you don't have to live paralyzed. You don't have to do the next five years like the last five years. You don't have to do the next five minutes, like the last five minutes. So we don't live with teeth on edge. We live with great hope and potential. And don't ever let someone tell you otherwise. Because God comes to people in a situation that I would argue is likely far worse than any situation you will ever be in, hopefully. And says, I know that this seems really difficult. And I know you're wondering how you can take another step. But don't just dwell on the misery of things that have come before you. Instead, I'm judging you for how you do today. And I desperately want you to live. So choose life. May we choose wisely together. We have a very simple song that contains that concept. So I'd like us to stand and and sing Uh, together. Uh, I'll sing it through a few times. You guys will will catch it with me, and then we'll do our our real closing song, but um, this is Brian's song. Uh, This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. I will rejoice, I will rejoice, and be glad in it, and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. I will rejoice, I will rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. One more time. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. I will rejoice, I will rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. I want you to think about the commitment that you've just made right there. That this is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. That I'm going to look with new eyes at sometimes situations that are difficult, things that have been hard, relationships that have been hard. I'm going to look at new eyes with them. I'm going to look at new eyes at myself. That the day that I have has unlimited potential. It has unlimited opportunity. God says, okay, I know that there's stuff that is in your past, but stop quoting that proverb. Because you all, you individually, you each are mine. This day is mine. You should live with a certain sort of hope because of it.
Let's continue to sing as our worship team leads us.